Hey, 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 welcome to the Wealth and Business Podcast. Daniel Moses here. On this episode, I am really, really fired up and so super excited to be sitting with Abdul Shakur, someone that literally met me at the beginning of when I started to really inspire a lot of people. We got started in our networking events and we started to really put out information. So this was when I really met Abdul as a friend and then we got on together and he decided to mentor me on how to run events at that time in 2019. But before 2019, myself and Abdu, we've been friends on social media, but we've never really connected face to face. So I'm really, really super fired of and so excited to be having him as a guest on the Wealth and Business Podcast, where we're going to be talking about his winnings, his growth. He's grown as well since 2019, you know, we met. So without further ado, I want to really welcome the CEO and founder of Shakur Investments, Mr. Abdul Shakur, how are you doing, my brother? I'm very well, man. It's a pleasure to be doing this. I know this is a long time coming. So yes. uh, we, we've never really sat down and created content or did anything like this together. So I'm super pumped and excited and humbled to be here as well. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Abdul, for coming all the way from Birmingham as well. Yeah, it was a bit of a track, but it's nice. These discussions and, you know, to come out this way to do something like this mm. is more important. Yeah. Because there's not enough people inspiring the world in a positive way. Absolutely. So we need more of this. Yeah. And just taking our time to to do things like this is money comes and goes, you know that. Mm-hmm. It's having the time to be able to to also give back and add value in so much it for. Absolutely. And and again, just to even add to that, he says money comes and go. For me, money is the freedom. It comes and go, but it's the freedom. Absolutely. Because if we have money worries right now, we wouldn't have the freedom to sit down. If we have worries of our health, we wouldn't have time to sit down. So worry comes being able to do anything, but comes freedom, the power to do anything that is absolutely out there to do. To it's, be done. it's interesting you say that because I'm a big believer in operating from a place of abundance mm-hmm. rather than a place of desperation. Because yeah. when we're desperate, nothing goes our way. Absolutely. And we're continuously trying to fight an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. And it's like... The universe or God, whatever, trying to tell you that you're, you're pushing too hard yep. and you're not getting somewhere. And that frustration builds up and that turns into anxiety and it's that confidence and arc effect. Mm. But when we operate from a place of gratitude and abundance, we can, we're, we're more impactful. More things happen. More things go our way. More money drops into account. More things get booked in. But most people don't think of it like that. Mm. They think, okay, I'm going to, it's like the idea of the hustle of the grind. Like we work hard. But we also have to have that abundant mentality because working hard alone doesn't get make you successful. It's the that switch when you become more grateful and you have that more abundant mentality. It's different. You start operating at a different level. Wow. Wow. Guys, this guy is going to blow your mind. We've not even started yet. <laughs> so great to have you, Abdu. So Abdu. How did you really get into entrepreneurship? Because you dip in your hand into many things, you know? You know what it is? I'll tell you what. I was, I was prematurely born. Um, so I had my, you know, my, club, my club free yet for issues. I can't gain a calf muscle. Mm-hmm. And there's certain things I can and can't do physically. And growing up, my, my parents came from a religious background. Yeah. But the one thing that I, I love my parents for, and I appreciate this, is they gave me, they put me on stage because my dad was a religious leader and we weren't made for money. We were in there. We were the shoes like every family has. You know, we weren't made of money. Nothing was handed out to me. 
But one thing my dad gave me was the skill to be a public speaker. Mm. And when you're at nine years of age and you're speaking in front of 2,000 people, like that skill, that ability to communicate makes you a leader. Like it gives you that innate ability because a huge part of being a leader is to be able to communicate. So I took that skill and I owned it at a competitive level, like competing in public speaking. Um, but I realized my father didn't want me to, to you know, wanted me to be comfortable life. But I always had this bigger goal. I knew that I wasn't like every kid. Because when you go through experiences, you become someone different. And you realize, okay, I'm not meant to be a normal young person. I knew that from a very early on. Maybe it was a bit of self-awareness, I don't know what it was, but I knew very early on that I wasn't going to be a normal kid. And I started volunteering from a young age. So like when I was like in year seven or when I was 11 years old, I started selling SIM cards when nobody knew they were free. Yeah. I like year nine, I was selling phones, but I was volunteering in charities and organizations and humanitarian stuff. And, and all those gave me the ability to be able to communicate, sell, market, do things from a very earlier age. Wow. Now, a lot of people get into business for the money. Mm. I didn't get into business for the money. It was by accident I got into business. It was more like I wanted to make an impact. I wanted to do charitable work. I wanted to help the next generation. And and more so, like I looked around me and I was like, why aren't there any young entrepreneurs about? Why isn't there a young Asian Muslim guy from the hood who's gone and made it? Why can't I see this success? Yeah. Now, entrepreneurship is a very popular thing. Everyone's trying to get into business. Yeah. Let's go back 12, 13 years ago. It wasn't popular at all. You were laughed upon. People would laugh at you on the street if you had an idea or an ambition. And I told everyone, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a success. I'm going to be a millionaire. So like from a very early, I had that innate ability. I knew that I was going to do it. Great. And so I just cracked on and did what I needed to do. I never had a, a solid plan. I never had a solid business. I never had anything concrete. Yeah. I just utilize my ability to speak to people and learn and be inspired and, and go and meet different people and get inspiration from different places. Like there's something I learned. Steve Jobs said it perfectly. You know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. Yeah. What he meant by that is there's things that you do that you don't realize that are going to benefit you later on. I didn't, if you asked me 20 years ago or even like 10 years ago, would I be in property? I was like, no, it's too money, too money driven. But I knew that there's some value to be added. So I figured out what my value was and I knew how to add that value to an industry. And that's yeah. what made it work. Wow. It's, um, you've, you've really, you've really deepened into it. I love how you literally got started and how you broke it down from a very young age. You see, the biggest gift anyone would ever get is those little moments whilst you're growing, finding yourself, understanding who you are and who you can become. And not knowing what works and what works. Running through your parents, your parents thinking, oh, this boy's going to get into trouble one day or not get into trouble one day. You know, those little worries. And that has actually not propelled you to who you've become. Yeah, but it wasn't all easy. Like, for example, I had to go through homelessness. I, was, I lived on the streets for two months. Like, I went through that period of, of, of pain because now everyone's got access to social media. Everyone's got access to inspiration. Our parents see entrepreneurship as, oh, you know, there's, there's more entrepreneurs or business people around. Yeah. You know, back then I was kind of like the only young 
person who's kind of flaunting the idea of an entrepreneur and putting myself out there. I had senior business people in the city look at me and think, who's this kid? Like, seriously? So at what time did you now, you know, based on all these experiences that you had, at what time did you not really made up your mind and said, I will not work for someone now and I want to really take all these life experiences from the years of when my dad first used to put me in the stages, speaking to a lot of people, going through all your homelessness, going through the challenges of life. Obviously, you wasn't given any handouts to becoming quite a success. What time did you make that transition? I don't think it was a transition. I think it was just, I just, I just you're going to find it hilarious. But you know the whole mentality of like go with the flow type thing? Yeah. That's what happened. I just went with the flow of where my skills and where my journey was going to take me. And I still believe that till today. I always go with, like, I'm not, like, you know how people think, I'm going to set this business up, I'm going to run it for five years, and I'm going to do this. I very quickly realized that you can never have a perfect plan, and it's never going to go to plan. Yeah. Life's going to take you in all sorts of directions and all sorts of places. So for me as an individual, I was like, I'm just going to grow with it. If an idea doesn't work, I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to open it back up. If something doesn't work, I'm going to go to a different city. I'm going to go where I'm valued. If something doesn't have to go right, it's okay. I'm going to just move on to the next thing. So my first five years of my career or business journey was about doing that. It was figuring out what works, what doesn't work, yeah. learning from all the mistakes. Like my first business, I had to shut it down because like, I had an operation. There was no, and, and I made the mistake of being the person so much in the business that the business couldn't run without me. That was my first mistake. So, like, I just went with it. I took my skills, I learned, picked up new things, and I just added value. But the biggest thing that I had was the network. My network is so diverse. Like, I was at, I think, 16 or 17. I was at five to 10 networking events every single week from all sorts of backgrounds. Nobody knew what I did. People would just see my face pop up. I just went around and I just went to the networking, whether it was a charity, business, whether it was like professionals event, whether it was, a, whether it was like, you know, it's a manufacturing event, wherever it was, like I just went to these events because I was still trying to figure things out. So what would you then now say to the professionals who are anticipating or aspiring to becoming business people who haven't got any sort of experience? Would it be an easy ride for them? I mean, clearly from what you're saying here, what has made you a strong entrepreneur, what has built you up is been because you went with the flow, you knew who you're going to become, thanks to the pops, right? Who put you in front of stages whilst you were growing up. Now, a lot of other people who wants to join, you know, who wants to become entrepreneurs might not have those sort of, um, will I say, you know, platforms where they've been stretched, but they just see entrepreneurs thinking, you know, most people do think, oh, the moment you become an entrepreneur, either you're born or either you learn it or it just happens to you. What would your advice be? First thing is understand the value that you're bringing to the table. Like, a lot of people don't know what value they bring into the table and what makes them unique. Mm. People try and copy someone else's blueprint, but they're yet to realize what value they have to bring. To I speak to so many entrepreneurs, investors every single day, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, why have you not utilized this? 
to make you money or to open up doors to this. Like even when it comes to raising money, it's like the idea of like people don't leverage what their background and where they've come from to help them get cash flow coming in or for them to be more relatable to a particular niche audience that they can raise money from. So the first thing for me is like, okay, understand what value you have, what skills, what knowledge, what information you have. Even as professionals, you might not realize it. You do have some sort of knowledge, experience or value to bring to the table. So my first thing is understand what your value is. So am I correct to say that from your personal case study, from your personal life journey, you know, or in all the experiences that you had whilst you was young, so you're saying, right, regardless of, you know, who you are, I was fortunate enough to be raised by my dad who has helped me, you know, in front of people, speaking to people, and you had that enthusiasm from very young age yeah. to become who you are. So if professionals who want to transition to becoming entrepreneurs and successful one indeed, they first have to identify the value that they have to provide and the ability to get creative and get to work and monetize as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Like, for example, I know so many people like, like for example, one of the businesses that I recently invested in, you know, it, there is, is, is a scrum master, ex-police officer. He's a client of ours in, in the academy. But I realized, okay, he's great at the offshoring and the business analysis side of things. Okay, why don't we turn that into a business and provide that as a service? Mm. You know, if you're an accountant's background, you can give financial advice to your clients. If you've, like, but also you got to take the value that you have and not just sell it to anyone. Yeah. You got to sell it to a profitable industry. Yeah. Real estate, obviously, is the most common one. Like you provide a service to the property industry. You could provide a service to the healthcare industry. You could provide a service to people that are going to pay you. For example, even when I first set my business up, marketing agency, why it worked the second time around or why it did better the second time around is because I wasn't trying to be a marketing person for everyone. I wanted to be a marketing person for the real estate industry. Yeah. Now, very niche. It's very niche, but I know that. But if I close one deal for someone, that pays for my service, 5, 10x. So the, I can prove the ROI of my service a lot easier if I go to an industry that has a high ticket offering or that is a more profitable industry. So take a service, add, you know, for example, my skills across any business, anything that I've done has been marketing, sales, and, and networking. Those are my three values that I had and that was great at doing from day one. Yeah. So I applied it to the marketing industry. I then took it into the recruitment industry. I then took it to, you know, brought it into the property industry. I even applied it to the, the charitable industry. Like I took it, my skill and my value and figured out which was the most profitable industry that I could be in. Yeah. And that's going to make me the most money, but it's going to give me the most satisfaction. Wow. Wow. You know, Abdul, your wealth of knowledge is one of the things that always kept our relationship, kept our connection. You're so knowledgeable, man. That brings me to this next question, Abdi. At what point, you know, with your vast knowledge, you know, you know, transition after transition into, you know, setting up different things, you know, what then made you to settle for the property industry? And how did you, you know, make that decision and get into property? So... Here's the thing. I'll give you the, the load on the industry. Just about seven years ago, I was heavily focused on marketing 
for the property industry. I had clients that were paying me retainer fees of like two grand a month where I was building up their events. I was marketing their personal brands. I was helping them bring sales in for their business. So these are architects, construction clients, brokers. But when you're selling for these guys, the beauty of it is, is you get to soak in so much information. Like I sat in planning meetings with an architect. I figured out what their process was. And in order to sell or market something, you've got to know the product really well. Absolutely. So by me marketing all the different aspects of their businesses and all the, like marketing construction, I learned the ins and outs of construction that people have to do degrees to do, or people have to pay mentors and thousands of pounds. But I was getting that information for free because I was marketing for them. Same with brokers. I can tell you about all the different types of finance that's available to you because it's, I was marketing for them. So that gave me this innate ability to be like, okay, I'm, I'm soaking all this information, but I don't want to be a property investor. I want to want an investment company. And when I made that transition was, I set up London Property Community. London Property Community grew to about 10,000 plus members. We were doing events uh, once a month, some unique events, not, not pitch fest, but like more like a, just a general networking event. We got sponsored by like, brands like NatWest and some of the big financial institutions. So they started sponsoring us and, and, and kind of hosting us. And we partnered with a lot of these guys. And I'm like, okay, in order to feed my clients, that was the purpose of it, was to feed my clients' business. And then one day by accident, I made an introduction to an investor to a, a, one of my developer clients. And he gave me a massive commission paycheck. And then he gave me equity in the project. Now my eyes were like, hold up. I'm charging a two and a half grand retainer fee, but I just made a 30 grand paycheck and I got equity in the property development. There's more money to be made here. Yeah. Now, having done that, I was like, okay. He said to me, look, I don't have time to go out there and raise money. I don't do it. Can you do it for me? I'm like, okay, let me dive this into deeper. And this is the power of research and knowledge and information that we have access to today. I realized that these bigger investment companies or these bigger like developers, they have investor relations departments. These investor relations departments are solely focused on making money. Now, even if you look at the biggest real estate investment companies in the world, like Blackstone and et cetera, what do they do? They go out there and they raise money fast. They do massive investment raises. But I was looking around, I'm like, why isn't the rest of the property industry doing this? Why isn't the average property developer, the small developer, or someone that's doing HMO flips or anything like that, why aren't they focused on raising money? There's got to be a gap there. So I started raising money for this guy. This developer I took in from 10 million to 20 million in, in like two years. I then worked with four or five other developers. Now in the past 36 months, I've done now 7 million in, in investments that I've raised. But that's because I was just I figured out a system. I knew my value. I knew my skill. Yeah. I applied it to industry. And then I was like, forget marketing. I'll keep that running in the background. But I'm going to run an investment company. Now, a lot of people are afraid to make that switch. Like They're afraid to be like, I'm going to shut something down. And I'm going to start something up. Or I'm going to stop focusing on that. And I'm going to go into this different idea. Yeah. Now, you saw that transition. Mm -hmm. You were there at that point in time. And I was like... I was known as the marketing person for the property industry. And I was like, now we made that transition to as an investment company. It was, it was like people, it was unnoticeable. I just made it. It was just an instant decision. Yeah. I just knew that I was intuitive to know, like, I need to do this. I'm not afraid. Go with the, go with the flow thing. 
Like, I knew that it was just something that I have to go with and run with it. If you found this episode really useful and you're looking to get started in property, whether you've got some money or you've got no money, and you're looking to add value to yourself as an individual, make sure to reach us to us on our website, which is propertywe.co.uk, or reach out through to me myself on Instagram. It's Daniel Moses DM. I've got my team right there on my handles, responding to every single one who's listening to this podcast and looking forward to building their own economy using property as a vehicle. We're really looking forward to welcoming you in our multiple events as well and guys don't forget to go and give us a five-star rating on apple and also on the spotify podcast looking forward to seeing you soon take care wow not a lot of people have those skills though not a lot of people has the ability to adapt move i think if i'm right one of the biggest problem entrepreneurs have sometimes especially those who are transitioning from the corporate life or corporate structure into becoming entrepreneurs is that sometimes they just feel, okay, this is the plan. We stick to the plan. It works. If it doesn't work, we keep doing it and it works and we keep doing it and it works. But I think the biggest skill an entrepreneur needs to learn is the ability to adapt, move, move all the time, movement, movement, movement until you get, basically until you get it right. You just, you just keep, you keep tweaking twists, keep tweaking twists. Yeah. And that's what's really, I mean, from what you're saying here, this is something I'm really learning that, you know what, the biggest part of being a, a successful entrepreneur is the ability to just adapt, move very quickly, be able to change, you know, and not doing one thing too long. But the other thing is, like, people are afraid of doing something unique that hasn't been done before. Mm. Like, that's the thing I'm noticing in business. People are trying to replicate something and they're afraid to try something because it might not work. Yeah. Now that's where I make my money. I make my money on the the doubt that people have that they're not able to do something different because they don't like the idea of trying something different because they're afraid they might fail. Now that's what I'm like. Let me attack that because I'm not afraid to fail in that way. Yeah. I'm just gonna attack it because I'm like, if it works, like I make money. If it doesn't, cool. I'll move on to the next thing. So now talking about raising finance in the property industry or to property investors. I'm in the full-time development property industry. I mean, in the last 12 months alone, we've done about four projects last year. Uh, we've done about four projects, including our clients. We've done a little bit more. Mm-hmm. One of the things, I'm someone who's been able to grow my, you know, seven figures property portfolio uh, with, you know, with other people's money, OPM, joint venture finance, and striking deals, for example, getting builders to work for me, then paying them after, you know, my refinance is done. Now, I'm quite literally, I talk all day, but if you really want to win in property, this is no longer the time where you have to have the money. This is no longer the time where you need to have even, you don't, as far as I'm concerned, you don't even need to have 50,000 pounds in your bank account. What you need to know how to do is to have people like yourself, people who are very creative in how to raise money or you learning the skill yourself by paying for a coach and mentor to mentor you and teach you how to do it. But sometimes when you coach or mentor people and teach them how to do it, not everybody can implement the strategy because it seems too daunting. Does that make sense? Now, you have been in this space and you've played so much in this space. Like you said, you took someone from 10 million to 20 million. How then, you know, do we encourage more people to learn the skill that is literally out there 
and how can you help people? The first thing is you got to realize what's the biggest problem why people don't come into the industry, why people don't build portfolios is the financial aspect. They find Absolutely. a they find a deal, they put an offer in, they try and take it off market. They've got about six to eight weeks to completion. So if it's a bigger development, you're talking three months to completion, yeah. and then they go around running around for the money. Now they're running around like headless chickens, trying to find that money, stressing themselves out. The vendors getting annoyed. The agents getting annoyed. You're pissing everyone off because everyone, everyone's trying to chase you, yeah. and it puts you in that stressful position. Now, I said at the start of this podcast that you've got to operate from a place of abundance. Mm-hmm. Now, you're now in a place of desperation because people are chasing you, or you having to find ways and do what you can, and your head's not clear when you're raising, when you're trying to get this deal over the line. So that deal falls through, yeah. or you've got one investor that you relied on, and suddenly last minute that deal falls through. Or well, that investor, suddenly something happens, he costs you or he doesn't get back to you. This happens to about 80% of investors. Least 95%. Probably, like, probably more, actually. I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was being nice. I was being nice. I was being nice, but like 95% of people, this is what happens to them. They have this, like, they, they get so close, but then, and then it pulls, out. it pulls out. And then they get deflated, and then they're not doing it. Now, and most of them will be the end of a career. Yeah. Right? And this is where I realized, okay, why don't we do what investment companies do? Look at the model of giants and conglomerates. Blackstone, all these big private equity firms, what do they do? If you look at, there's a, a great book by the founder of Blackstone uh, called Wherever, Wherever It Takes, I think it is. He spent these first two years focusing on just raising money. He worked at like, you know, JP Morgan and all these big firms. But when he, and he was trying to make that transition to be self-employed, and he went knocking on doors and nobody would give him money. Yeah. So he spent the first 12 to 24 months, what was he doing? Going out there and making his first raise. So when we go out and raise money first, what happens is we're then able to adapt, to be flexible. Yeah. So based on what we raise, we can then find a deal that suits our budget. Mm-hmm. For example, one of my clients, he, you know, he raised 120K, and rather than putting that 120k into one deal, he went a bit up north or a bit down, I think it's more towards Wales. And then he did three projects. Now he added three properties to his portfolio in the space of what one one raise. You've got that flexibility now. You're not bound to location, you're not bound to strategy. And you can operate from more of a place of abundance. Now yeah. that is beautiful. Now imagine if you focused on raising a million pounds within a year which is, again, very possible. But the problem that people have with that is the mindset. I know people who are veterans, and you know some of the, the mentors that are in my group yeah. in the Private Aid Academy, and these guys are veterans, but the reason why they came to me is because they've got that mental block of raising money. Because they've raised 50K there, they raised 100K there, but to us for 250K, money that they've never seen or they've never held on to, to go out there and ask for money. Now, that's the switch you've got to make. But you've got to understand that if, in order to make that switch, you've got to realize that there's more money in this world than we think. There's more people that have got 100K, 200K in their accounts sitting there. I totally agree with you, 100%. And the beauty of it is, like, I raised 50K from an Uber driver that I spoke to on, on, like, on a simple, like, I booked an Uber and he goes, I got 50K line, man. 20k of like a pharmacist. People have got money in their accounts, but you, you like, 
You don't know who's got money until you ask, until you ask. And ask for it. Absolutely. You, don't, you never know who's got money until you ask. So now you've raised money. You can do deals with more freedom. Yeah. You now have the credibility and the relationships to open up doors to raise more money. Because once you raise money from one guy once and you do a deal and you pay them back, you then have testimonials to go out there. You then easily build your empire. Why would you do it the difficult way around? Why would you go out and find a deal first, do all that headache, trying to run around, stress yourself out, get beaten up, deflated? Now, in the market we're in right now, it's harder to find deals because everyone's trying to look for deals and the numbers aren't stacking up. Mm. What I would be doing in this period right now is going out there and raising a shitload of money and then putting that to good use. You know, glad you said that, right? A lot of people get scared of doing that because they don't know if they raise, just let's just say for the sake of numbers, you go out there, you raise two hundred thousand pounds. You've promised your investors ten percent or eight percent. Now, especially for a lot of newbies, the first thing that I do always come into their mind is, okay, I've raised this money now. What if I don't do the project? I've got to pay ten percent or or eight percent back. Obviously. It comes down to the mindset, which we're going to be talking about, like you know, as we get, like, go along on this podcast, and, and and now that is one of the biggest mental blocks, right? Because if you have money, you have the power. If you have money, the deal will come. Not only that, I think it's communication. The problem that most people don't do is don't communicate, and they don't think about what how they can overcome that. They just see that as a block, and that's it. I simply just communicate to my clients, okay, if I've done a big raise like that, say it's even a million raise or whatever it is, I will say, okay, we've got three months for us to utilize that money. Now, your investment date will start from the minute I make that first drawdown. So the money will stay in the account. It's not going to be the worst case, I'll give you the money back in three months because we haven't utilized your funds. But what we are going to do is we're going to hold on to money. Why? Because... The industry moves so quick that deals get snapped up like this, like in, in seconds. So I need to be in a position where that money is in our account for us to move, for us to move quicker. That's all you got to communicate. That's all you got to tell your investors. Give us about a three month period for us to go find a deal and for us to go make something happen. I mean, I hundred percent agree with you. But in order for do this, in order to do this, you must be someone who's has the right type of mindset. Because if you haven't got the right mindset, raising money can become something that is very... I was speaking to an investor the other time. Also, right, I was speaking to one of my students the other time and we had this very interesting conversation. And I'm like, is that, oh, Daniel, can you tell me how you went from literally in the last 24 months, you almost... It's like almost every quarter, you're, if not every month, you're almost buying an asset. I said, well, not every of the property that I'm buying at every quarterly or every six months or, you know, whichever way you want to call it is actually a completion. Some of them have been stacked up using techniques like delayed completion, completion on the mortgage or bridging finance, whichever we're going to call it. It's already been stacked up. And I'm obviously stacking up my deals and I'm raising money as I go along. And I'm raising money even before even getting into the deal. And then he asked me that question. But Daniel, what if you had £200,000 in your bank account raised and you can't then do it? You didn't do the deal. And I said, it's all about understanding drawdowns. So what would you say are the key elements when it comes to raising finance, 
when it comes to, you know, using an investment company like yours to raise money or even education? What would you see, say are the key elements? I think the first is understanding that in property, everyone tries to do everything on their own. Yeah. There's a reason why I'm not, I don't develop myself. Because I don't want to develop. I understand my skills. I understand the strength. I understand what I'm there to do. I'm not going to go around pretending to be a property developer when I'm not. I can utilize, raise the money and, and put my money into a JV partnership. So I can go there and say, okay, I find a developer to work with. I find a construction company to work with. And say, look, put everything, set everything up, find the deal, do all of that for me. And I will go out and look after the money aspect, which is what I do. And just give me an equity stake within the deal. A lot of people want to do everything. People have come, got used to this idea. Right? Like you'll see on Instagram the before and after pictures, the, the refer projects and how they're going along with it and how it's getting on. I knew very quickly that I don't like doing, I don't like sitting on sites. I don't like sitting there painting or doing all of that site check. And all. I don't want to do that. So my folks are... You don't want to be a busy worker. <laughs> I don't I want, to, I want to be able to do 50 deals a year. That's my goal. How can I do 50 deals a year? I can't do that on my own. I won't be able to look after 50 developments on my own. But what I can do is if I look after the money, I can work with the right people. Now, that's why I set up my academy because I was like, I'm looking for business partners, people that I can trust, people that I can build relationships with, people I can support and help because I was like, the more of these guys I look after, the more business partners I'll have in, in, in two years or three years that I can then go do as many projects as I want. Now, I can go from doing 10 to 50 projects within a case of a year. Mm because I'm working with other people. At the beginning of this podcast, you spoke about networking. Yeah. And you said one of the biggest key that you've learned all right, over the years, especially from your young age, is being able to network. And yeah. you've networked in property, in business, in professional, you name it, every single network. Now, would you say your ability to build a network, would you say the ability to network with people communicate because a closed mouth can't explain services? So would you say that plays a massive role for any property investors right now looking to say, you know what, I want to I raise money. Okay, I've listened to this podcast. I like it. Great content, but I can't network. Okay, I want to explain to you the value balance. Okay. The value balance is built on the idea that a lot of people go to property networking events trying to raise money from those same people. Now, everyone's trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. How valuable are you to that person? Unless you've got a service to offer that person, you're not that valuable. Yeah. But if you go to different types of events where there's like lawyers or other places, you're of more value to the people because you know something that they don't. Everyone in the property industry already knows what they're about. They already know these charges. They know about second charges. They know about all these little crooks and crannies. Most people in the general public who aren't in the property industry don't know about all of that stuff. No. They don't have that knowledge. So now you've got knowledge and time and they have money. You're more of value to those people. So my biggest thing when raising money, I tell people is stop networking in property industries. Unless you've got a service or something that you're going to offer a value to them. Go and network with people who don't know anything about property. They might have bought one or two properties by accident or they're in a very busy job and they don't have the time their expenses are going up because of kids or they just want more money but they don't have the time to do it those are the best type of investors 
Because why? You can leverage your your knowledge that you have and you can leverage your time. They just put in the money. The biggest mistake that people make now is they put them on a pedestal. The mistake that a lot of people make is they put investors on a pedestal because they're trying to ask, they're trying to go for their money. We think that suddenly they're above us because they have more money. No, I am equally as valuable as that person. I am bringing, I'm actually putting more effort into this. I'm more valuable to that person than that person is to me because I've got the time and the knowledge. I've got the thing that they don't. Yep. Wow, 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 wow. Abdu, man, it's been fire rounds on property, raising money and uh, investment, you name it, on the mindset. I mean, Definitely, we're going to be doing episode number two, number three, number four together, and I can't and, and I can't wait, obviously, to have you on our live event. As I mentioned before, Abdu here, he was the actual number one first mentor I had in terms of you know how to build a network. So currently, within our network now, we've got just under five thousand on our network, and it all started from Abdu here, who gave us the the the, the blueprint. And and one thing that I love about your brand now is, and this is the thing, there's a lot of unprofessionalism in the property industry. Yeah. And I love talking about this. There's all these bright colors and there's really showy stuff. One thing I love about your brand is you've got that perfect mix of having that corporate outlook and having and being still down to earth at the same time. Yeah. And Thanks that, that right? I, 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 you know what it is? People can't get it. Mm. People come to, to our investment company to invest with us because we also have a very corporate outlook. Mm. But we're also empathetic enough to make that, to sit down with someone and understand their reasons for why they're investing. Like, I love this. Like, this is, if, if you take something away about raising money, take away this. The investment isn't about you, isn't about your development. The investment is about the impact that you're going to have on that investor. Mm. So when I sit in front of a, a a you know a potential investor, I try and find out what their reason is for investing. Why are they investing? Not the logical reason, but the emotional reason as to why they're investing. Yeah. Like a lot of people are some of my clients invest with us because their kids' tuition fees are going through the roof. Now they need to invest that money because they want to with the return that they're going to get that 10, 12%, they're going to get that. That's going to be like a third of their kids tuition fees written off. Now what I focus on is the impact that I'm going to make on that investor, but I still have that corporate like down to earth, emotional, empathetic family type of environment feel that I create. Mm -hmm. But I also have this very corporate mentality. Yeah. You can't be like Blackstone or these big investment companies unless you have this corporate professional outlook. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. Like you've now built this very corporate setup. Look at the environment, man. Look at the people that we're surrounded by. Look at the way you dress, the suit, the tie, all these little things that you have. These make a big difference mm. because perception is important. Yeah. And who are we going to trust? Although we want... People like the idea of having someone down to earth with t-shirts and like, you know, work like Mark Zuckerberg and having this like mentality of like, you just wear your jeans and wear your t-shirt and that's it. That's all you need to wear, right? Like people like the idea of doing business with that, but they will still always go to the guy in the suit. True. 
It's just a perception about it. <laughs> yeah, because that's more corporate, more professional. I'm more likely to trust that person. But he also understands me emotionally. Yeah. Now, if you bring the two together, you've got a, a mindset and an approach that will do wonders for you. Great, great, great. Thank you so, so much, Mr. Shakur, for being on this Wealth and Business podcast. Can't wait to have you again and again and again, and especially now that we just partnered up to, to deliver one of the most elegant, all right, Wealth and Business Summit coming in the end of year 2022. In just one minute, would you want to give any sort of remark on what we're planning on the, on the Wealth and Business Summit coming up in November? And plus, we have also partnered to, to set up our award, um, our, our property award in industry. So this would be people who raise finance, people who deliver amazing projects. Do you want to shine a quick light on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think we're a big believer and we had this discussion when yeah. we were chatting before we came to partner on this. Was, there's a lot of clicks that don't allow the average person or the person who's doing well, who doesn't fit into the box of what other people do. Like there's a lot of clicky environments within any industry, yeah. especially in the property industry. What we wanted to do was be more accessible, mm -hmm. be those type of people where we welcome everyone from all walks of life, from yeah. all expertise, from all journeys, and give people a platform and a community to learn, but also be recognized. Yeah. Like especially the awards in particular, like we want to recognize people that haven't been recognized, that deserve to be recognized, but that don't have the profile of some of these other people. They don't have the following mm. per se. They just deliver an amazing service. They put their head down and they get on with it and they don't, they're too humble to get that recognition. Mm. Those are the type of people we want to recognize. Absolutely. We can't wait. I'm excited for that. 2022 is going to be a massive, massive, massive year. Like I said, you've played a really, really big part in my journey. You literally saw me start from literally my rent to rent days. <laughs> and I obviously saw you, you know, where you are now. And just sitting down here together almost four years on, you know, it shows that not a lot of relationships stand, you know, not, you know uh, a space of time. And also seeing your growth, your senior academy, you know, combine from right. You know, you've raised millions, you know, within your uh, academy structures, helping a lot of people raise money to do multiple deals. So well done, Abdu, and thank you so much for coming to this podcast. We've talked about raising money and we've talked about especially your journey and how it all started for you. And when we do come back on a second episode, we're going to drill down more into raising finance, raising equity, you know, you know, talking about all the different options that, that are there for those who want to get, you know, involved in the property space how you can literally take control using OPM, other people's money, to really break through in this industry. I personally am a massive case study. I built a seven-figure property portfolio uh, within the last 24 months, especially uh, out of, obviously, me starting using the rent-to-rent -rent strategy. And currently, I own seven properties in my portfolio now. If I can do it, getting started on that sub, sort of level, anyone can do it. But the difference is connections, networking, and building relationships with people, and obviously knowing what you're doing. Without taking too much time, guys, so I just want to say thank you so much again, Abdul, for coming. And in closing, if you have one minute, what would you like to say? How can people reach you? They can reach me on Instagram at ABDULSHAKURLDN, or they can go to my website, ABDULSHAKUR.com. I guess if they know you, they can yeah, find if you. If they know you, they know me already. It's one of those. It's like if, if you go into Daniel, I'm somewhere there on his profile. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, I want to leave 
people with one statement that I love, this one quote that I've always lived by. Uh, and it's a beautiful quote, and it's, it's, it says something like this. It goes, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Yeah. Now, we need to start taking responsibility for our lives and where we want to be. Especially that we're, you know, 2022, we're in a new year, new beginning. We need to start taking responsibility. So if you're not part of the solution of doing that, you're part of the problem. So the trust is yours. Thank you so much, Abdu, for that final close statement. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Make sure you share this with a friend of a friend, a family member, your friends, your sister, your brother, your aunties, your uncle. Big things are happening here at the property you know, space. Big things are happening here at the uh, Wealth and Business Podcast. So stay tuned. We're bringing you so much more content in the following episode. So take care, everyone, and see you soon.